Coffee Time Wednesdays. Welcome back to the Prairie Farm Podcast, Coffee Time Wednesdays. Your favorite host, Nicholas Lirio. Favorite co-host, Ken Boucher. And favorite co-host to the co-host, Peyton Scandridge. Peyton Scandridge is trying to learn how to talk correctly in his microphone. So I'm sorry for the past few episodes and, and to give him some grace. He doesn't do it as often as Kent and I do. Well, I'm better at it naturally, but I just. <laughs> <laughs> He's got the, nat- the natural talent. I'm there. a raw talent. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. All right. So uh, let's see if you've never been here before. Each of us bring one topic. We talk about it for a few minutes and we try to wrap this up in 15 minutes because it's just for coffee time on Wednesdays. Well, uh, you know, what? I'll go first. I'll go first. I think it's Good. my turn to go first. Let's talk about Ohio. They got. Oh, I picked the same topic. <laughs> <Peyton picked. laughs> uh, so also, I guess we have to bring backup topics now. I'll go yeah. last. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, like shoot. Peyton, I had a couple topics, you know, that he could use one of them. It's okay. I'm pivoting. We're, we're fine. Yeah, Peyton's pivoting. We we actually thought that we might run into this issue, so Kent came with a second issue. Oh, I'm not using that garbage topic. What? I'll use That's it. a great topic. It's Dude, the article's like 3,000 words. Well, you got I'm 10 not, minutes to read it. <laughs> I'm not going to do it. Minutes. Yeah, yeah. You better, better be reading real quick. Well, so Ohio, right? They got that big old spillway. That's crazy. I think, it, what is it called? Like vinyl chloride or something is the, the chemical that they've got. So it's a big old train, 150 cars, derails in this tiny town of less than 10,000 people in Ohio. They kick everyone out. Then they burn a bunch of the chemicals. So they release in the air. The And so the the residents are starting to come back. I think last week they started to come back. And they are getting, there's like really extreme cases of nausea, prolonged mm. headaches. People are getting really bad diarrhea that don't normally get it. Allegedly. 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 The the water some people are claiming that there's still a film in the, over the water that they can see and that there's still a haze in the air. Although this is all allegedly. And I read three different articles and two of them two of them kind of were like, Man, this is a big deal. We need to like and like fish are dying, which I think that one's more confirmed. Yeah. Um all these fish are dying. And then one article was kinda of like, Man, people need to get over this. <laughs> so the huh. The water's still very much, especially the groundwater, is still very much an issue. Yeah. But I guess the governor went and drank tap water out of someone's house. Yeah. That doesn't mean anything to me because they very easily could have just like put a filter on, you know, like the average Ohio citizen. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's like that's like early 1900s politics. Yeah. (laughs) Look, this water's still clean. He's like swishing around his mouth and then he like takes a. Well, no, nah. that governor's bona fide. What are you? <laughs> I, I think of the Ohio governor as like some very southern like plantation owner. <laughs> you have obviously never been to Ohio, man. Yeah, but I, uh, my uh, my in laws they live in Ohio. I stole my wife from Ohio, uh, and I guess this is like an hour ish from where they're from. And uh, I have one of my in laws, my brother in law, one of them to be specific, is not excited about it he's uh he's ready to sue somebody but uh i when i asked who he had no idea so (laughs) that's an important part yeah building your case i guess so biden was in ukraine instead of going to ohio which is is whatever he'd probably plan that trip for months and then and then trump came to ohio and was like man how dare biden not go to ohio and and go to ukraine instead 
Um, and I'm not a Biden fan at all. I'm not a Trump fan at all. But uh, uh, apparently... Nick is one of those bottom of the horseshoe people. <laughs> what, what does that mean? It's, uh, so just to give credit to where I heard this, is on the Meat Eater podcast recently where they talk about how you have like your two ends of the horseshoe are your political extremes. But then there's like certain issues down at the bottom of the horseshoe where people from kind of both sides come together. Ah. You know, like COVID and uh, uh, masks and uh, uh, big ag. And, you know, you can go down the list. Yeah, the more the more I like sit and listen. Well, if I'm hanging out with conservative friends, I am a liberal. If I'm hanging out with very liberal people, I am definitely See, a conservative. You're, bo- you're, a bottom, so, you're a bottom of the horseshoe kind of person. I think what it is is I just I like making people angry. I don't know. I don't know. Sorry, everyone who's listening to this. But anyway, so so I guess. Way to alienate everyone hates Nick now. Well, yeah, yeah, I'm trying to be an agreeable person, and I'm all I am is like a. Uh, what do you call that? By Someone who's ready to fight. You are unagreeable. <laughs> I'd say you is, need to be careful. That is our political your, climate. <laughs> your Facebook's already gone. Dude. So all or nothing. Dude, that was crazy. My Facebook such. We don't have time to talk about such things. Anyway, I just wanted to point out that Trump, while criticizing Biden, actually, uh, while he was in office, was criticized because he took away a lot of the safety requirements for trains. Ah, (laughs) (laughs) the more you know. Yeah, the more know, the more you wish you didn't. (laughs) Wow, we're getting so political today. Yeah, when we were at we were at Pheasant Fest uh, two weekends ago, uh, Kent and I, we were telling people what our podcast was about, and we were like, "Oh, hunting, agriculture, conservation." politics if we're grumpy you know so maybe i'm grumpy yeah maybe nick's a little grumpy he had to stop by my house on his way here today <laughs> to pick up my lunch for Kent me for guys own lunch i just swing by and get it jonas gave it to him man all right Kent, what do you got for today so uh we've been talking a lot about feral hogs and that's actually been creeping up in the news a lot more in the i last was a early adapter weeks. on that yeah you were you were ahead of the, <laughs> you were ahead of the game now it's uh Maybe maybe this podcast is the big break of that news. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. But uh, there's been this flurry of articles on feral hogs. Specifically, I think, the breed that uh, Peyton talked about. Up, the super hog? Can- the can- yeah. Canada super but hog? Super I'm not, hog. I'm going to leave, you know, I'm going to leave the feral hog desk topics to uh, Peyton here. Uh, but I'm going to talk about feral cows. So my father-in-law, Jim, Jim Paw. Uh, Good old he, Jim Paw. He, he will yeah. forever be referred to on this podcast as Jim Paw. That's right. <laughs> that is a level 10 <laughs> Neat, on the neediness scale. Jim Paw is level one. Much better. Anyways, sorry, all you peepaws out there. Uh, uh, anyways, the feral, co- or the feral cow issue is going on down in New Mexico. And uh, so you have the Gila uh, Wilderness Area, which uh, shout out to our uh, – Iowa boy Aldo Leopold, one of the greatest uh, conservationists in our country's history, um, born in Burlington, Iowa. But uh, I believe he helped establish the Gila uh, Wilderness Area. And uh, what happens that I think a lot of people don't realize on federally federally owned land, and I think probably even on state-owned land as well, uh, ranchers uh, out west can... Uh, uh, lease um grazing rights on public land for their cattle so they have these huge herds of cattle when we look at a lot of western vegetation 
Uh, it's a lot more sparse than here in the Midwest. And that would go back to soil quality, right? But also some to do with climate too. It's drier in a lot of those states. Um, but they can graze their cattle on these uh, government acres. Well, what happens is sometimes cows will, you know, uh, get loose, get lost track of from uh, ranchers, or I would imagine even in some cases uh, can, you know, uh, be calved and, and born out in these federal lands and never actually like rounded up by the rancher ever. And uh, so you have this growing population of feral cows. And uh, what's cow- a feral cow and in, in like definition? What makes one feral? So it's it's the same. Rabies. It'd be the same. <laughs> it'd be the same breed. It'd be un- but uh, never domesticated, never branded, never taken into. You know, a stockyard or a or a yeah. uh, uh, you know a, a so a free cow, Can I right? Man, you hear it here first, guys. Kent's against free cows. It's like if a person was born and they didn't end up with a social security number and they just lived their whole life and like their parents like that sounds you? optimal. I won't lie to you. <laughs> <laughs> That's how you become Jason Bourne, by the way. <laughs> but uh, so basically, the Jason Bournes of cows. Uh, they have, you know, no, there's no uh, documentation or anything about these cows. They're not owned. They're just roaming free on these public lands. And uh, cows can actually be pretty dangerous. I believe uh, there's a stat out there that like more people are killed every year by cows than by grizzly bears and by sharks, sharks. and stuff like that. So cows, you know, they're big, giant animals. How do cows kill people? Uh, How do you pinned up against a fence or... Or trampled or kicked or whatever. I don't think cows are killing people the same way sharks are killing people. I have have not spent a ton of time around cows, but I have been around them enough and have been chased by cows on like four-wheelers and stuff like that to know that if that thing got a hold of you, you'd be hurting. Yeah. And so anyways, they're dangerous to people that go to these uh, parks or this wilderness area to recreate. And so they're bringing in government uh, sharpshooters to uh basically if you go back to i think it was episode eight or nine right nick where we interviewed carter niemeyer yeah great interview i would imagine they're probably bringing in aphis uh agents to do this work um but they're gonna do aerial shooting of these cows they're gonna put them up in hell put these agents up in uh helicopters they're gonna you know be flying over because are they gonna go pick up and get the meat or nope that's part of it they're gonna shoot them leave them where they lie lie to decompose however they did say they're going to make sure that they're not like, you know, dead in a stream or dead, you know, right next, you know, stream bank and stuff like that. And uh, it's not just the danger that they pose to people. They also are very destructive. They uh, uh, really mess up stream uh, beds and banks. They uh, drop, you know, they wade into the water, uh, uh, poop in the water. And there's all this uh, nutrient in the water, nitrogen, phosphorus. That then causes these algal blooms, very hard on, uh, you know, native fish species, uh, waterfowl, so on and so forth, right? So there's a big environmental problem, big public safety problem. We're paying a lot of money to uh, have uh, aerial gunners go in and take out the feral cows. Sponsored by our, our government. Sponsored by your tax, <laughs> by your tax dollars. Truly. <laughs> <laughs> well, cool. Well, that was fun. Uh, keep us updated. Are you going to hunt these feral cows? No. So if I was going to do a little point here and nothing again, you know, like I think these people are highly trained and everything else, but I bet you if they just gave out, so they're wanting to call 150 of these 
feral cows. I bet you they gave out 150 tags, made them available to hunters. Uh, the state would make money on the on the tag sales. They, it wouldn't cost our tax money other than to issue and print the tags. And uh, then uh, allow the hunters to take the meat. I think that would be a much more productive way to do this. But And you got to hunt the world's most dangerous game, too. Yeah, sort of. Feral no, cows. No. <laughs> no, what that well, is. <laughs> Cape Buffalo, you know, they're they're a little bigger than cows, but they're some of the most dangerous uh, game to hunt on the planet. So. Really? Oh, yeah. Why? I thought you could be, they, like, they, really far away they from are, them. Yeah, but that's... All right, a, go... So here's the Instagram page for everyone to follow. Nature is metal, and you just watch some of those Cape Buffalo destroy African lions sometime. Ugh. Peyton, what you got? Nothing that cool. Um, I was going to talk about the Ohio stuff, but you got that covered, and then Kent covered my second favorite topic of feral animals. So I am going to option three, which is (laughs) the war in Ukraine and how that is going to jimmy up some agricultural prices. So wait, 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 wait. I gotta, I gotta change your mic real quick. There we go. Oh, okay. Quieter. Okay. Um. Anyway, the war in Ukraine is still going on. It's a thing. Joey B, our good yep, friend. Yep, he was just there. Just there. Yeah. Because it's a thing. And Stay tuned. Like to... He might be on our podcast later. Maybe. We're <laughs> doing a dual interview with him and but, Trump. But uh, uh, we are still sending them lots of money because they are very much in an active war. Yeah. But um, regardless of that, uh, Ukraine has one of the best soils. Like I think it's Eastern Ukraine has maybe the best soil in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, so they provide a lot of the food for um, Eastern Europe and the Middle East and stuff like that. Like they provide a lot of the grains for that. Last year, when the war started, a lot of it was already planted and sold and harvested, and prices were pretty much the same. But now, with the I think it's the Black Sea embargo on everything, and um, everything's effed up, if you will. If you will, I'm real frigged up. Um, <laughs> Prices of transporting, because they have to go through an approved uh, uh, port, is what it's called, if you ship by sea. Mm-hmm. So it's going um, and adding like hundreds of dollars per ton on all of these grain prices. And also, because now they're just getting to the planting season on these, um, you got to, yeah... Yeah, this this is what happens when you go to the third article. <laughs> <laughs> so so basically, you're saying because of the war and things and consequence of the war, grain prices are going way up there, which means grain prices are going way up here. That is to speculate as someone who's not an expert and just read an article today as of five minutes ago. I would anticipate yes, that happening. Well, so it's interesting because. They're like economics is very complicated, especially macroeconomics, but they do boil down to like some simple principles. And one of his like supply, supply and demand. demand. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yep. And the demand, I mean, population, while it's not growing as fast as it has in the past, it's still growing. And uh, supply is uh, not dwindling, but more expensive to now, create. Now, let's imagine for a second, let's get in our little imagination heads and put ourselves in this, this place that Missouri those psychopaths attacked Iowa and then basically all of Iowa's uh, agricultural goods um, could only be shipped out through Omaha, which yeah, is, slow, kind, which slows is, things down. which is kind of the situation that is going on in Ukraine to like generalize everything. Yeah. But that would very much 
make logistics, um, shipping an issue. Um, if you're in an active war, it's harder to plant stuff too. Yeah. So prices are very much controlled by this, and it's one of the the, the world's most fertile locations to grow and supply f- food for the world. You know, I don't know how true this is, but I heard that uh, Russia has lost a third of its troops. And like, no, 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 no. It's lost two thirds of its tanks. That's what it is. Yeah. It's lost two thirds of its tanks. So I wonder like, I wonder how they're doing. I mean, there's rumors that Putin is like in really poor health and like. I you wouldn't know. know about all that. No, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> we're reporting on the we're, dirt, man. We're we're, uh, we're we're turning to C-SPAN today. <laughs> Holy moly! We're outside of our pay grade. Well, I mean, it. Eastern Ukraine is one of like the three. What are they called, Ken? Uh, mollusols. Mollusols. There's one here in the in the Midwest. It's just a soil type. It's the most fertile soil type. Well, there's a spot out in the California valleys that's supposed to be. Yeah, I'm, I'm well. sure there's little spots all over the place, but uh, as far as like a vast area of it where you can have large scale ag, where you know, I guess if we want to wrap this up on a, you know, maybe a way forward is if you want a resilient world, you need to localize where everyone's getting their food from instead of being so centralized into these few hubs around the world that's that is supposed to supply everyone. Um, then uh, it, the whole system just becomes very, very uh, vulnerable, like yeah. Peyton just described. Yeah, but more efficient. Like you, you can well, because you're feeding if, seven million people, you kind of gotta you gotta centralize. Be, yeah, yeah, you gotta be efficient, which which is like the harder part. But when you're less efficient, that just means you get less. So if we could consume less then we would be okay with... Come soon less and localize. If you can localize, you can still you'll feed, never go hungry. You can still feed uh, everyone effectively if we you know, and, looked and, at other models. In uh, Yes, that's true. But so like when, when we were in, we were in Minneapolis for Pheasant Fest and um, I was visiting with a friend there and, and meeting some of his friends while we were there. And I realized that in Iowa or in rural places, people are good at, are pretty good at a bunch of things, but there people were super good at one or two things. They basically like in the big city, they're like, this is the thing I do. I do not know how to grow tomatoes. I do not know how to make soap. I do not know how to birth a cow uh, or a calf, but I do really know how to play electric guitar. And, and, and here's what that does is it makes a society more efficient, but in exchange, it is much more vulnerable. Right, because all your Less talent resilient. is yeah, all your talent, all your resources get pocketed into these areas, and if one of those pockets gets taken out, well, you don't have any reserves in anyone else's brain for that kind of stuff. Um, but I, uh, I mean, World War Two, they did the same thing. They they told people, hey, have your own chickens, because they understood that like people who could have their own chickens would be a lot, or a society that could feed themselves. Would be a lot more resilient. And they didn't have to rely on exactly. certain things. They would share a lot more. Exactly. That's why in the mid fifties and early sixties, that feral chickens were such a huge. Problem. <laughs> oh <my goodness. laughs> All right, guys. This is like a forty-five been, minute uh, this coffee, been time today. coffee time Wednesday. Uh, Peyton, <laughs> take us out. I'm not gonna do it today. Ah, fine, I'll do it. Beep, 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 doo,